Hi, I'm Seth Roseman. And I'm Jonathan Fuller. And welcome to No Experts Allowed, where we try to make the Bible less scary, more approachable, and a more consistent means of connecting with the divine. Each week, Seth and I alternate between two roles. The non-expert takes a look at a specific Bible story and prepares for a conversation about it centered around two questions. What's the story and what's the point? Meanwhile, the storyteller joins in the conversation, reacting to the story as they hear it. Because the so-called experts aren't the only ones who can make meaning and sense of the Bible as we read it together. So if you're new to or exploring Christian faith, if you've been to seminary like us, if you want to know more about the Bible but don't want to hear another sermon, or if you're anywhere in between, this podcast is for you. Join us and let's tell a good story today. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Seth. What's up? Well, I have a question for you. Oh, gosh. Like always. What would you do in this particular situation? All right. I'm ready for it. Would you want to have bird's wings for arms or a fish's fins for legs? Okay. So would I have two like fins? Would I still have two legs or would I be a merman? No, you would still have two legs. They okay. would both be fins. You could be quite a fast swimmer with that. Right. I uh, wonder if they'd let me in the Olympics. Like, I wouldn't have to train. No, I probably still would have to train, I guess. But <laughs> I think, I really do think, though, I'd got to go with, uh... oh. I'm just worried about the functionality of the legs when I'm not swimming with them being fit, like, but you're not worried about the functionality of the bird's wings when you do anything at all. That's true. So I'm presuming that I don't like still have my hands. I just have wings. Yeah, I think you just have the wings. Oh, man. Because if I was choosing just between flying or the swimming, hands down, I'd pick flying without a question in my mind. But the functionality of it really actually adds something quite challenging to this conversation. I think I would still go with wings for arms. And let me tell you why. First off, flying, boom. Second, I feel like being a flying human with bird arms, I could probably garner enough popularity so I could get people to do stuff for me that I couldn't do on my own. You know, like they could pick up my Chipotle and feed it to me or, uh, they can like help me pet my dog because I don't know that, man, what would my dog do if, <laughs> if I had bird wings? I think she'd try to like eat my arms. I'm not sure. But what about you? Have you thought this through already? Yeah, I've thought this through too. And I definitely think that I would go with the bird wings. Oh yeah. I don't even really enjoy swimming that much. So like, what am I going to do with the fish's fins? I don't, that wouldn't even be that fun. Like, I could compete in the Olympics. But I, don't know, I feel like it would just be a pain. And I don't, I don't know how, if they have enough, like, structural support. Like, you're never going to be able to yeah. walk. You just kind of, like, flop around all day. I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, that's true. So I'm, I'm with you. 100%. 
It's always a good thing. It's always a good feeling to know that you're with me, Seth. I appreciate that a lot. That's the magic of Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> the same screen that provides me every meeting also provides me this time with you. And I appreciate it. With that, should we move to our text for today? Sure. Happy to. Today we're going to talk about Psalm 8. Mm. And Jumping I'm... into the Psalms. I love the Psalms. Oh, I love the Psalms too. And our reading is just from the NRSV, just like last week. Jonathan, can you read it for us? Sure, happy to. Oh Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Hmm. What a beautiful Psalm. So Seth, do you wanna say a little bit more about why you picked the NRSV for this week? Sure, and I picked the NRSV this week uh, because I think we talked a, a little bit about this last week on, on the podcast. Just the NRSV does a really good job attending to the text. And uh, I think at least for, for Psalms, sometimes, sometimes they're hard enough as they are. I wanted the, the translation that gets me kind of as close to the original text as I could get. So I thought about using, there's a wonderful book by Robert Alter called, I think it's called A Translation and Commentary on the Book of Psalms. Um, in seminary, we used to call it the Alter Psalter. So I thought about using that, but I just wanted to stick with something that was, a, that was uh, maybe even more focused uh, on, on the meaning of the text than it's kind of original Hebrew. Is there anything that kind of stuck out to you while you were reading it? I don't know. There's such a, a beautiful image that comes through from this, this psalm. And I look primarily at verses three and four. And I think about standing maybe on a hilltop or somewhere open at night, far away from the light pollution of the city where I can just see the stars and enjoy them and be mindful of how beautiful they are, just kind of be overwhelmed in that moment. And that reflection, I don't know that I've said these words, but I've said something similar at points in my life too. Like, man, there's just something so much bigger than me. There's so much, something so thoughtful, like some, some creative genius has to be behind how beautiful the world is in the moments when it's beautiful. 
And, and I, I think I love the way that this, this psalm and so many other psalms both give God human qualities and not human qualities. And so the idea of God, you know, crafting the sky with God's fingers, uh, you know, maybe painting or you know, something, again, really creative and artistic, just really appreciate that image of a really creative God. And then the relationship that they talk about with humanity as well. It just, it creates, I know it's not exhaustive and it doesn't, but it really provides a really beautiful picture of the relationship between God and humanity. And I, I just really appreciate that. Yeah, there's something about the Psalms that always just feels right to me. Whenever I come back to the Psalms, it somehow feels like coming home. When I was in seminary, we had to kind of memorize, I don't know if that's the, I guess that's the right word. We had to memorize this quote about the Psalms because it was kind of my, my teacher's like tagline hmm. that the Psalms combine a minimum of historical contextualization with the maximum situational contextualization. Mm. which is to say that it's really hard to figure out what's kind of going on outside and around them. Yeah. Inside of them. Like there's this, they speak to situations. Right. That, that are always fitting. Yeah. And I know there are like, there, there are certain very specific examples of Psalms that like parallel each other or run together or contrast each other, but they really are more than any other part of the Bible these these units that can really be broken up in each in each psalm you know we can't like we talked about last week it's not really quite as helpful to talk about the psalms that came before or right after because it is this this really focused unit yeah well well with that Seth what do you think the the story is that that this psalm is putting forward of course I just wanted to talk a little bit about before before we get to the story. Okay. What, Sorry. What an, you're no, you're fine. I wanted to talk about maybe some of the weird things about Psalms in general and this psalm. Like it starts with to the leader, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. So I just want to I just want to say that almost nobody knows what the Gittith is. People have guessed or pretended uh, but even even our best scholars say we we really have no idea let's just leave it untranslated as getteth right and this is a unique spot too seth because like these kinds of headings these are actually in the original text right unlike a lot of the headings that we see in our bibles today and that's correct those those are called superscriptions the superscriptions are part of the Hebraic text. So just like my RSV says, it titles the psalm, I guess, Divine Majesty and Human Dignity. Well, someone added that from the NRSV Translation Committee, but they didn't add to the leader according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. Right. Yeah, and that's an important distinction to remember uh, because, you know, again, with the psalms, it makes sense for us to break them up the way that we have. And the chapters and numbers, those come from a long historical tradition too. But sometimes even the way that chapters are broken up or the titles that are given, they kind of add some more meaning to, meaning to the text from the perspective of the committee. 
So it's an important thing to remember that in this case, this is stuff that was in the text and has been used in the text, you know, back until the time when they knew what the Giddith was. <laughs> Any other weird things that you noticed with this, with this psalm or with the psalms in general? You might know that there's 150 psalms, and just about 75 of them uh, are ascribed to David. And that comes in all different types of, of kind of superscriptions. It'll sometimes say just a Psalm of David, uh, like ours, like this one does, or it'll sometimes say a Psalm of David when, and then it talks about his life when he was running from his son Absalom, uh, after he was talking to the prophet Nathan. Right. The superscriptions sometimes they connect even to other parts of the biblical story that we know, which is fascinating too. The only other thing that I want to lift up well, kind of about this psalm in general is that it, it comes up twice in our New Testament too. Mm. It comes up in Matthew uh, chapter 21 when Jesus quotes verse 1. And then it also comes up in Hebrews in the second chapter uh, when the author quotes verses 4 through 6. Mm. So sometimes I think this psalm this psalm has a little bit of traction for us because we, we may have heard Jesus say it, or at least we're kind of familiar uh, with the text from Hebrews, if, even if we can't kind of place it from Hebrews, for me at least. Sure, yeah. No, this is definitely one that someone who's grown up in the, and around the church, like this is definitely one that's a little more familiar, uh, but you know, taking a fresh look at it is always, is always so interesting. So the Psalms don't fit perfectly into our kind of idea of what stories are. But if I think about them as poetry, um, what I'd love to come back to in this one is kind of right in the middle. It feels like the climax to me. What are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them? One, one of the questions about the Psalms sometimes is how, were, how did they function liturgically in ancient Israel? What did people do with them? I think this Psalm lets us put that aside for a second. It lets us focus on kind of the, what I'll call the, the difference between God and humanity and the way that that difference is not kind of a division or or separation it's not an opposition because the very next line is you made them a little lower than god and you crowned them with glory and honor and we have this question what are people that you should even care about them and in the very next line we get but somehow they're just a little bit lower than God. And they're crowned with glory and honor. There's this beautiful turn in this psalm that people and the divine are not the same, and yet people are crowned, and God cares for them. And then there's this fascinating turn to creation. And that's what I want to focus on, actually. That we have people and God loves them and crowns them. 
And then God gives them dominion over the works of God's hands. And here I think we, we have to call back the creation story. I don't think we can read this and think of anything else. I'm sure, I'm as sure as I can be that when the author wrote this, they had that in mind too. That there's this beautiful juxtaposition in this Psalm, that there's a difference between people and God, and yet God loves them and cares for them and crowns them. And in turn, people have, have the responsibility, this uses dominion, but a fancy word, they have a responsibility to care for God's creation too. Yeah, and the emphasis that you make there is really interesting. So I'm reading through those verses. It's talking about the living creatures specifically, kind of maybe starting to catalog at least a little bit of what uh, all things under humanity's feet, what that means. So I'm thinking of sheep and oxen. When I, when I think of an agricultural society, I think of those as like the domesticated or like the, the animals that have already kind of been factored into some human interaction and system. So you've got shepherds, you've got farmers, and they utilize these animals for the work that they do. But then it goes beyond that. And it goes, but also the beasts of the field, the things that are out there in the field, maybe near your sheep and oxen that maybe aren't under, under your control, so to speak. The birds in the air, the fish in the sea, the things that you can't see or interact with. And even if you wanted to, probably really couldn't control all that much. And then this blanket statement of whatever passes along the paths of the sea. It's kind of this gradual progression of, you see what this, you know, put all things under their feet. Yes, the things that you know, but beyond that and beyond that and a little, like a little bit farther every time to try to get, re-emphasize how big of a responsibility as you just mentioned that this that this is and I, I wonder if even the last line brings us back to that how majestic is your name in all of the earth like i wonder if that's almost what the all points to hmm. if it points to all the things that we can't see all the animals that we don't know about all the ones that that we science hasn't classified and i even think we get the, a hint of it at the beginning like it's it's like a little it's like a little teaser sure yeah so seth you mentioned both of those things the beginning and the end and it's pretty striking to me that those verses are exactly the same what do you think that means in the context of this of this psalm i've been thinking about it i mean like an envelope structure it kind of wraps the psalm right Mm -hmm. the beginning and the end. And I wonder if it talks, and I wonder if that envelope structure doesn't say something to us about how kind of God wraps the whole creation. Kind of want to, I don't, I don't know if I want to push it too far. Because this doesn't just happen here, right? Like this is a, a common tool in the Psalms, right? For as there, you mentioned them being poetry before. So this seems to kind of be a common poetic tool so to speak for how they're how they're constructing these is that right it's not very often in the psalms that we see the same verse at the beginning and the end this is Mm. this is relatively rare 
Um, but we will also see refrains throughout the Psalms. Well, I think, so there's the Psalm, I should know the number, but I don't remember it, but there's a Psalm that almost, almost after every line, it repeats, yeah. your love endures forever. Yeah, it's 136. That's right. Psalm 136. I think, I think, yeah, thanks for clarifying that, that there's, it's not necessarily unheard of for that kind of repetition, but it's not so common that we should just dismiss it. It's like, there is something to the fact that this psalm starts and ends the way it does. And I also wonder, it's written to the leader, according to the Gitteth, which we think is some type of musical instrument. And repetition is germane to our songs now. Right? I mean, I wonder if it just tells you even something about the way people sing and think about songs generally. That's kind of fascinating to me that the way that we write songs now with these like catchy choruses and bridges might have been true 3,000 years ago when they wrote the Psalms. Hmm. That's fascinating. I, I think for me that I like oscillate between these two points where I think the, I'm just like the people in the ancient world and <laughs> And the opposite of the people in the ancient world are just so completely different than me. Sure. I think that's, I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair comparison though, because though our worlds are very different. Think of everything involved with us doing the very thing that we're doing right now. Like we are encountering a translated version of the same sacred text, but I've got it on a screen in front of me split screen with your face that's a live feed for you talking to me in a location you know hundreds of miles from me but these texts and these messages still have something to say to us and though it might not hit in the same way there is still the same opportunity for this psalm and other passages that we read to introduce us to a new aspect of what it means to be part of the people of God. And that's just incredible. Like I love the passage in Hebrews, uh, you know, the idea of the great cloud of witnesses. And I feel that when you bring up this, that man, this passage, even if it's in their song structure, like we are surrounded by an incredible history of God's people and wondering what, if anything, that we're doing today will leave that kind of influence and impact on generations in the future as well this podcast absolutely will oh i know it will endure forever to quote to misquote the psalmist <laughs> <laughs> jonathan i liked how you talked about the way that the texts can speak differently but they can can still keep speaking to us i think I think that's the beauty of the Psalms in general. I think that's the beauty of a minimal historical contextualization and a maximum amount of situational contextualization is that it's because we don't always know what's happening in the history of Israel at the time that these Psalms can keep speaking to us. That we can always seem to find one of the 150 that fits our mood. The beautiful thing about this psalm 
is that it it's unabashedly praising God. And I hope that at least at least most of our life, if I could say it this way, that can be our primary purpose. Certainly, certainly it can be difficult at times, and I never want to downplay that. But I I do hope that maybe the enduring legacy of Psalm 8 is that it can help us praise God. And it helped the the psalmist too. Well, Seth, I don't want to make any assumptions, but it sounds like we just had a pretty good conversation about what the point of this text is. Do you feel like that happened? I think we're, we're ready to pray. That sounds great. Why don't you pray for us? Oh Lord, our sovereign, you are mindful of human beings and in turn ask us to be mindful of your creation. Help us protect streams, preserve ecosystems, and provide for all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. We pray this through Jesus Christ, who took on our creatureliness. Amen. Amen. Thanks for walking us through that story, Seth. Thanks for helping me tell it.